It's our 42nd episode, and we talk about life, the universe, and everything. Robin talks about the censorship that keeps people from being their true selves. All this and more on The Leftscape! I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley, and today when we publish this, it will be April 3rd, and that is a special day because it's Find a Rainbow Day. I don't know how you're supposed to find a rainbow, but um, hopefully we'll find one. Well, how would you find a rainbow? Uh, depends. I'm looking for a real one or one that's drawn. That a real one is <laughs> the most important one. Okay. On another note, this is the anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King. So we on the fourth tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yep. The fourth. Oh, the fourth. Yes. Yeah. And um, I should put my reading glasses on. That would help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And on the 6th is National Sorry Charlie Day. It's to think about rejection, how you survived it, and what you learned. This one is a very weird one to me. (laughs) Is it? it, It's not having to do with tuna fish? That's what I was thinking. I immediately thought of Sorry Charlie. And this weird tuna tuna fish who wanted to was so desperate to be caught on a hook. Like, what the I, fuck was that about? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> well, and I always thought, what's wrong with Charlie? Just, he he doesn't speak the way an upper-class person speaks. So this is very snobby. I <laughs> know. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, Unpacking I, I, I don't know that we want to deconstruct that commercial right now, but yeah, <laughs> I guess that's a lot of really creepy overtones. <laughs> Yeah, I I always liked Charlie, but in a way I thought it was good that they rejected him because now he's still alive. I always thought he looked kind of like a shark, but that's me. (laughs) I thought he looked like a beatnik. They tried to draw him like a beatnik. (laughs) He had a little mustache and a beret, you know. Well, we will have to post the example of this commercial for the... People who weren't around when this was on. Anybody younger than 50, yeah. 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 Okay, it's on the 7th. It's National Handmade Day. So you have to sport something that was handmade. No, you have to buy something from Etsy. Oh, it doesn't say that on there on the. Couch. No, I know. I'm just I sell handmade stuff on Etsy, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I would I will definitely be one who buys something handmade because I'm terrible at making things. <laughs> and then there's a week from the seventh to the thirteenth is National Library Week. Very important. Yeah, that's always fun. Support your public library. And um, we've got some birthdays today. We've got an interesting combo. Uh, Today, April 3rd, is the birthday of Alec Baldwin, who has been 
giving us some humor, much needed humor lately on SNL. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that he's able to vex our president so easily and on a regular basis. So I have to give him props for that. <laughs> right. And also a throwback to SNL plus all kinds of other stuff he's done. It's Eddie Murphy's birthday. And it is also the, okay. I just, okay. Since it's also National Poetry Month, I'm just, uh, you just made me remember all of his weird beat poetry. Most of it was about killing his landlord that he used to, to do on Saturday Night Live. That's right. <laughs> and um, Jane Goodall's birthday is today. Yes. Who, she's amazing. Yes, she's, uh, she's the woman who went and lived with uh, chimpanzees to uh, discover them using tools and throwing the concept of what makes humans, uh, quote, superior, unquote, to the, quote, animals, unquote, I'm using lots of air quotes here, uh, threw that all on its head. So she's uh, one, of my, one of my hero people. <laughs> awesome. And on the fourth, it's the birthday of Jill Scott, and also was the birthday of Maya Angelou. Who's Jill Scott? Jill Scott's a singer. Ah, okay. Yeah, she's cool. And uh, for the eighth is also another musician, the birthday of Matthew Healy from the 1975, which is cool. That's band a band? Manchester, yes. Okay. They're, they're fun. And uh, that's it. A lot of other okay. people may have birthdays, but we're celebrating them in general rather yeah, this than isn't, this is the the leftscape, not the birthday show. Yeah. So I guess that would be an interesting podcast. We just just read like birthdays for an hour for not, who was born on that day. Somebody not, else can do that for suggesting that, that, that we're gonna do that. <laughs> um and uh we are now in a, a post Mueller world. And we haven't seen it yet. Uh, no, it's it's a how many days has it been since it was released? Two Friday. Friday. Yeah. So that's Friday. So, yeah, it'll be a few days. Five days. So and, we're, uh, we're talking about the day that we are recording. Yeah, we're recording yeah. this. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because who knows what next the next week will bring? Um, I'm hoping that the entirety of the report will become uh, public, publicly available. Um, I've seen some memes asking the Russians to release it for us <laughs> since, oh, wow. since they're good at releasing our information as it is. That's and, great. That's great. And I also read a thing that was saying, you know, uh, Bar the what's it, Attorney General Barr's memo we think is sort of cherry picked and not terribly accurate i don't know i don't know the word to use for that accurate but, uh, or informative too yeah yeah, yeah and it, it's i don't like, see how he can be saying that there was no obstruction that's what there are there, no collusion they're saying so i can see that maybe that but how he could say no obstruction is beyond me because uh, almost daily the trump tweeted things that were obstructive um, insult to people who were testifying for things and threats that that's obstruction right there. And because it's on a tweet and everybody sees it, we're not going to count it. Um, my understanding of it is that, well, just to go back, 
a few decades. In Watergate, <laughs> I believe that they did something similar where they just sort of outlined all of the things that happened in, in terms of the council that investigated and didn't say, this is what we think Congress should do. Or so in other words, they just oh, listed facts and didn't draw conclusions. They listed facts and didn't draw conclusions. And then it was well, up to Congress to do what they are going to do. And I think we're, we're just in a very different time where. Yeah. And it, well, not only that, we're but also talking about that Mueller just laid out the facts. But what I'm talking about is the what Barr is now saying is that it says there's no obstruction. No, well, I agree. And that's what I'm saying. It was, you well, know, Barr um, is, I, oh, sorry. I just think that we're in a time when it's it's not very likely that someone's going to look at something and show the whole picture. And, you know, we're in this incredibly um, um, time of bias, I guess, you know, and Barr was put in the place to sort of not not deal with this, you know. Well, I think, well, there's a couple of things going on. Barr has um, an agenda. And um, and I think someone brought up, I, I think, Iran Contra, because he was uh, attorney general during George W. Bush's uh, presidency as well. So, you know. Um, and he and was the one that was behind the pardons, the right? The pardons, yes, for Iran Contra. Um, and so, what, but the other thing is that memo is a simplification of the of the Mueller report, and then the news people are simplifying the simplified memo even more. Right. And the there are people, I guess, like our president, who have decided to simplify it even further than that, and just come out and say, "Oh, I'm vindicated. I didn't do anything wrong." And they're just well, hammering that. So when well, that's the not even simplification. Out, that's like that's like sorry. That, that's oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was saying that's not even simplification. That's just saying the opposite of what it says. Yeah. Okay. I mean, no collusion. Okay, <laughs> if he wants to say that, but it, he says I'm completely exonerated. That's exactly the opposite of what <laughs> was said. It said yeah. Does not does not exonerate is what it. I mean, of all of the very short thing that we got. It actually said the opposite of what he's saying now. So it's, uh... and the other the other thing I want to point out was uh, a, a little piece I read this morning that explained that Mueller turned over a lot of the indictments to uh, state attorneys general. So those are uh, pardon proof, I believe, that because yes, it's not a federal true. crime, and and. There are a whole bunch of indictments to like the Southern District of New York and the Eastern District of New York and a district in Virginia and some other places. So, uh, you know where you were reading that? Yeah, I was on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> no, that's I've heard that from a lot of sources actually. It was like a summary. So it's it's New like Mueller set this up so that the federal level, you know, the the Trump appointees can't you know, get in and fuck with his shit, you know? Um, it's just that the wheels of justice are grinding at way too slow a pace for this country. Yeah. Yeah, because people are losing so much stuff while people are losing their Medicare and uh, their Social Security and um, uh, all the laws to help uh, 
people with disabilities are getting turn overturned and it's just ridiculous. I'm finding um, there, there is a, a lot of emotion behind what's happening right now. And I'm finding myself really trying to remember all that's happened and to not get gaslit because that's what I feel like is happening in some ways, you know, like the, the news is saying, Oh, there's no collusion. Everything's done. You know, this is a win for the, for the president and making it sort of as if we haven't witnessed everything that we've witnessed over the last two years, you know? That's true. Yeah. And so I keep trying to remind myself, you know, I mean, whatever the outcome of all this, like I know what I've been experiencing and seeing in the news and on Twitter and in the, in the world, in the actual world all this time. And to kind of, I've needed to take a break for a while just to not, not immerse myself in news that actually doesn't have any news. We don't really have everything that was said and we don't know what's coming up, you know? Yeah. It's getting exhausting, you know? But I, am, I, I also am embracing myself a little bit because I think that Trump really, um, really, it, the one thing, he, he, I don't think he does a lot of things well, but I think he does revenge incredibly well. Who, our and, president? Yes. And I feel yeah. like he's maybe the naughty thing dropped the day after the Mueller thing happened because that's somehow he had that plan. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, that sounds like I'm theorizing, but I guess I am. <laughs> but it was, it's strange, you know, and... Wait, what are you I'm talking about that he had it planned? What was that? Michael Avenatti was just oh. arrested on some major charges. I think it was like a extortion charge, I think, and some other things. I haven't, I am not 100% certain of all of that. But it was very strange that it happened right then. And I'm wondering if it's, you know, I don't mm. know, somehow, somehow related. Like, because I mean, I, 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 even an article on The Hill was saying that, you know, Trump is really planning his revenge against a lot of people who have um, championed the Mueller report. Wow. Time. I'm rewatching Game of Thrones to get up to speed for the new season coming next month or this month, <laughs> later this mm. month. And uh, and I just finished season one and it's like I I'm seeing so many parallels <laughs> between what's going on in Westeros and 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 us. Um, it's just because it's all lies and backstabbing. So you know, that's our government. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and they're very good at revenge as well. Um, and, and also uh, ignoring a, you know, a climate event that everybody kind of knows about, but they're all ignoring it and, and thinking that, that that's not something they need to deal with now. And it, it totally is. Wow. That's, um, that's kind of a little close to home. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't watch Great Game of Thrones, so I, I see little bits about it vicariously through like everywhere in the world. But yeah, and I, I, it's like I have to remember. Oh yeah, this these are the seasons with the really gratuitous nudity, nudity. Um, but at least I think they're kind of giving equal time to you know full frontal naked men and full frontal naked women in the show. So it's you know something for everyone, I guess. I I don't know. Um, 
But uh, more weird and confusing things is we've been getting a lot of information out of uh, out of England about their Brexit issues, and and it's and I read something this morning that indicated that three people in the cabinet or the government, which is not parliament, quit their jobs over this and they're resting control from Theresa May. And the way they're talking about it is basically telling me I have no clue how the British government operates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's like our own stuff is confusing enough, but this, this is like a whole new level of confusion. Um, but I, I feel for them because they're, they're looking at like these deadlines staring them in their face and they still don't have a plan. And that's got to be very uh, terrifying. I don't know. I would be very upset and, and nervous if that was my country. And I would be too. I'm, I'm nervous just in terms of the world economy and uh, how trade will, I don't know how anything will work in regard to them. And it's strange, well, I, you know, I keep, I keep hoping that, that they'll like decide to just trash this whole thing and not leave. That's what I'm sort of hoping to. I mean, I know at one point they were going to, um, uh, they were going to see if they could do another vote. Now that kind of now that we understand what this actually entails, <laughs> do you really want to do this? You know? Um, no, when it, that that guy who was pushing for the dropout and the the politician that was really pushing for when it when they all dropped out and then they turned to him and said, okay, so what's your plan? And he said, I don't have any plan. And it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's so it's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> you think then they'd say, okay, well, let's go back since you don't have a plan. But, and it, and it would prove that everything he was saying was, he was just talking out of the, out of his ass. So why don't they just have a new vote? I don't know. Uh. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It, there's reasons why. It, but the other thing that I heard on my way back from the gym yesterday was, uh, or Friday was one of those days. But it was that because of the the change in the banking for the region, because most of the European banks have their central offices in London, because London's like the is like the financial center of Europe, like New York is for us, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of these entities have moved their assets out of England in preparation, because once I think once the the Brexit actually happens all that shit has to kind of be done ahead of time. I never so, realized that. I never realized that London was the oh, um, yeah. economic capital of Europe. Well, yeah, London. Yeah, that's what I meant. I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's just how, how will things work? And that's actually one uh, very real uh, repercussion. Right yeah, there, that, and, that, that and, the, and, the, um, and they're saying that uh, they have... Um, similar, uh, I guess, immigration issues as we do in the United States, because they have a lot of, um, I guess, people from the EU from uh, less wealthy nations coming in to take over the low level service jobs like we have 
in our in the United States, you know, like the hospitality stuff, the servers and the and the waitresses and the and the right. waiters and the and the the, the right. hotel staff, you know, that that's all I guess people from some parts of Europe where they're making more money in England. Just like, you know, in the United States we have a lot of immigrants taking those jobs because they're easy to get for it's just saying because the people in England don't want to do those jobs just like you know the people in the United States don't want to do those jobs so they have a similar you know I've heard I've heard you know British MPs saying you know what's going to happen with with uh with this workforce that that will be forced to leave because they're not mm. citizens mm -hmm. you yeah know? it's interesting and, and I think another parallel is that I've heard quite a bit about Russian influence on the Brexit vote to begin with as well. So it's yeah, it's a lot of uh, a lot of destabilization going on. Of uh, yeah, and I and I'm not you know. sure what their end game is either. Yeah, I was just going to say, what do you think their ultimate goal is? Well, could be world domination. Who knows? Well, certainly more control, like destabilizing the people who have necessarily usually been allied to keep them in check. So. I don't know, you know. Uh, interesting yeah. stuff. I, I, I definitely need the blanket for it this week. I've been, uh, <laughs> yeah. I need yeah. to take, it's all hurting my brain. <laughs> but one good thing is that I, I received Wendy's postcards and they're beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, they're for sale now um, in my Etsy store and someday when I get my website, <laughs> better in better shape they'll be in for sale there uh but i am uh wendy cards with a z on etsy people can buy them now yes well i have some of them up <laughs> it takes a while it takes the the entire the entire process is kind of harrowing you have to yeah once you have your products then you have to take pictures of them that look good and that has been challenging um and then the pictures have to be massaged in some way and then they have to get put up and then you have to write the descriptions and it's like it's this whole long thing and i was trying to get them all done yesterday and i think i got like four of them done and there's 12 yeah there's 12 different postcards and you could get them individually or you know the set of 12 of the different ones or you could get 10 of an individual postcard and this was a Kickstarter project called Postcards Against Fascism, if you have not listened to us before. And it's <laughs> 12 yeah. really cool political designs. Um, and that you can use to um, send to your, your senator or your congressman and tell or your state representatives or the president. Send yeah. them to everybody. Lovely listeners, we love you all, and we'd love to hear from you. So post your comments on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And please go to iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We really need those reviews, and that would help us out a lot. Thanks a lot. Um, I, um, I kind of hit a, 
a wall of a sort about a week ago or so where I was just thinking a lot about the communities I travel in and the political climate. And I've had really real concerns about the way we communicate and the way that we police each other these days um, in the left-leaning communities. And I feel like I really need to start talking about that and find ways to discuss um, maybe ways that we can just to sort of take a look at it and encourage people to look at the way that we're um, censoring ourselves and creating a climate of intolerance in a way. Okay, can uh, you, I, I'm going to need an example. Yeah, I was just wondering. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, so let me preface it by saying I really, really love that we have so much new language to talk about um, genders and sexuality and, and the ways of understanding race and all those things. Um, I think that's hugely important and it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's an invaluable. And at the same time, I think, like for an example, um, I have concerns about the way we're looking at cultural appropriation these days because I don't feel like I can tell someone what to wear or how to dance or what, how to wear their hair. Like I know that I've gone through so much pain around being told that myself and being told I was wrong or I was not black enough or not mainstream enough or not something like something that always um, made me wrong. And so when people say, you know, you shouldn't wear that, you shouldn't pursue that religion if it's not from your bloodline or you shouldn't, I don't know, the dreadlock thing is a big thing right now, you know. You mean and, white people having dreadlocks? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that, you know, I've had conversations with people about this and I know that it's really, um, it's absolutely the, the only acceptable thing to say, I think, in our political climate right now is that that's completely unacceptable <laughs> and that you should, you know, and I just, I can't, I personally can't tell someone that. And I feel upset when I feel like it's assumed that that's the only answer, you know? Um, what's the only answer to, to police somebody for their, appearance right right you know or i was called out for wearing a bindi one time at a party mm. by someone and i feel like my spirituality is so uh central to me and for whatever sets of reasons my a lot of my spiritual life feels like it originates from india you know um I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's the right answer to be like, you, you just can't do that thing. Well, who was it? An, a Hindu person who called you out? No. Wearing the bindi? No, no. All right. Well, you see that is, well, okay. Okay. There's, there's the, there's the theory. 
because we've been hearing a lot of this. If you know, if you're in the group, like if you're a white person and you see them behaving in a way against a person of color that don't let, I mean, this is kind of, um, kind of what you were talking about with the, the N word. It's like, nobody It's like the guy said it. And then every, nobody, it's like everybody waited for a black person to respond to it. Whereas they, you know, I hear from marginalized communities that they want those of us with privilege to smack down the privileged people misbehaving. <laughs> and so, mm -hmm. so the, the, the other people don't have to do the emotional labor. Okay. So there's, there's that aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect of, you know, if this is, if you're like in a, in a social setting and there's people who are, you don't know, or who are like uh, superficial acquaintances of yours and they don't know your story and you're presenting yourself visually in a certain way that has a lot of meaning for you. They don't know, you know, that they don't know, for example, that maybe you went and lived 15 years in India and, and, you know, went through this whole spiritual practice stuff and, and you come back and, and that is your, that is your culture and you've adopted it. They don't know that. And they're going to give you shit about it. And that's, that's not right either. So it, it's, well, that's I, the thing. I think you don't know people's stories, you know, yeah. and and that's a very different thing to me than someone saying something obviously racist or sexist or hurtful to people. And that's and I'm not to, I'm not I don't want to minimize that. I know that some people will see someone visually who's wearing something or behaving in a way that they feel they have a. a they feel like they have the right to say something about or to own. And I know that that can be hurt, hurtful to people, but I also know that that's not the way everybody feels of, of any of any of these, of any of our, our groups, you know, mm -hmm. there are people that have the different ways of experiencing that, particularly people I think who have blended identities and cultures themselves. And I think I want to tell, I feel like, I, I feel really like I would like to start writing about this. Maybe it's a book. I, I feel like it's a book. It feels really scary. <laughs> we'll start, yeah, start yeah, writing yeah. about it. And if it turns into a book, then it's a book. Yeah. Or maybe it's a several articles and then eventually becomes a book. But or you maybe know. it's an interpretive dance or, or a play. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, no, it would be the world's worst play if I did that. <laughs> But it's very, it's very, very frightening to me because uh, Mary's been trying to say something. I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just trying to think about um, the cultural appropriation, the idea of a cultural appropriation. Like we've got different cultures, the groups, and they do their own thing. And don't you want people to understand each other is, is my question. And how do different cultures start by uh, to understand each other and i think that one of the first things is testing food tasting food you know is is that cultural appropriation if i like to eat chinese food uh, no I, I i have i actually about about this level of cultural appropriation i have 
kind of a strong opinion. <laughs> and, and this is it. This is my opinion on it. Um, I personally think it's okay to purchase artifacts of a culture that is being sold by the members of the culture. However, it you step over the line, uh, for example, uh, like the white women that went down to South America and stole recipes for uh, some ethnic food in Peru, I think, or somewhere down there and came to the United States and opened up a franchise making this food and selling this food where the people, that's, that that's to me appropriate. is appropriation, where you're profiting off of the stuff from another culture without without really understanding it and you're not in there and and it, it's kind of like uh it's kind of like a copyright violation sort of you know um yeah but, see that seems very clear to me if you're going somewhere to take something to make a profit and deliberately not credit where you got source. it from yeah you know I think for me and, and enjoying food and I, I see that's the thing. I think our cultures are very blended already in terms of the, what is, a, what would be American food actually, mm. you know, I mean, we have so much of everything. Um, well, even the, the Chinese food you get in America is nothing like it's not like actually in China. So exactly. it's already, it's already been Americanized in yeah. some way. I'm, I'm just thinking about just this week, uh, I was watching a video and I posted it on, on Facebook um, of what, somebody I know who likes to cook, uh, these cooking videos. The guy is not Indian, but he's explaining what he learned about Indian food. And he's trying to make a simple Indian style recipe uh, or Asian style recipe. And it was great. I enjoyed it, but I'm sure he kind of Americanized it, but uh, do I fault him for not being Indian and yet presenting an Indian recipe on his food uh, video? I don't know. I don't know. Is he making money off of somebody else's work? No, he, he kind of made it up himself. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, those YouTube videos are there to make money. Hmm. Eventually. That's yeah, the whole that's true. So, so what, I mean, what is your, so what is your take on that, Wendy? I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. it's, I've seen Indian cooking videos from people from India you know, um, and actually that's where I, I learned, <laughs> there was actually a really funny one uh, by this Indian woman, um, you know, a young woman, and there was some people yelling at her off camera, like, uh, I don't know if it was supposed to be her parents or something, you know, she's talking about <clears throat> doing Indian cooking in, in a half an hour a day, like really fast for, for, you know, millennials who, and I just did air quotes around the millennials, uh, for, for millennials that don't, that didn't learn how to cook at their mother's knee. Um, and it was really funny cause it, it, I, I guess she was playing up to, uh, some stereotypes about Indian food. It's like you put, she started with like the oil and then she dumped a bunch of onions in there. And, and then, you know, and, and then you said, and then you can use any of these, she was just doing it very, very funny, but it was like, 
you got like the basic bones for a marsala sauce out of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it's very useful um, and humorous. I don't know. Um, I would I would like to believe that people aren't deliberately ripping off other people. I would like mm -hmm. to believe that, but I know that that's that's my pipe dream. You know, the minute you post a picture on Facebook, yeah, they're gonna if if it becomes popular, some T-shirt guy is gonna put it up in Teespring or something and and try to sell your design without giving you a penny, for example, um, and that's. And that's kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess you're allowed to enjoy what you like. <laughs> you that's, know, that's my thing. I think that uh, what I see happening um, is that people are, at least I sometimes feel afraid to make statements about what I enjoy or to be to show up as parts of who I am in some spaces because everyone is trying so hard to, um, well, it, it's, it's a kind of, um, it's a kind of restrictive thing. And it's, you know, and I think to me, this the, uh, I'm not, see, I'm not getting my word out yet because it's, are you, it's really are you talking about being politically correct. Well, yes, and that is a term that I, I don't want to use because it's used against people, you know, by, by conservatives who are calling us snowflakes and all that kind of crap, and that is not... But if it, it's... Accurate, what I feel doesn't come from that, that place, you know? Um, okay. Do you think maybe the problem, too, is it really depends upon intention? You know, I, and I guess the intention, like you said... Um, Wendy, about about making money off of a culture without having um, the right to do so, maybe. So designers, like dress designers, incorporating um, Native persons' he headdresses in it. Or even um, Native designs, because I remember yeah. there's been some scandals. However, then you get Native designers designing clothes, and I wonder... Is it cool if I buy and wear those? <laughs> Not <laughs> you know? a native person. See, my, and my feeling is if you, do, do you really feel it in your being? Like, every, like, I feel like people should go where they're drawn and, and your heart, I, I live by, I think, I think the heart can lead in a lot of ways. And I think that's, a, that's an important thing for me, for people to find their callings and, find what really moves them artistically and to do those things, you know? Now, for me, a separate, well, it's not separate. You can't really separate it. But the another issue is that we also have racism and sexism and heterosexism, and we live under all of those um, damaging situations, you know? But... To say that because there is racism and you can never um, explore something that is from, say, if a white person exploring something from a black culture or 
playing the djembe. Right. Yes. Or, or doing African dance, you know, um, in, or whatever, you know, I, I think if your heart says that that's where you go, I think it's, I think I would like to see people be able to do that and to look at, and to also be engaged in finding and exploring the, um, the complications that might happen because of it and being aware of racial disparity and everything else, like blindly just like, oh, this is cute. I'll just take this, you know, I mean, like that's what I would want to discourage, but I would never want to say, don't, don't do it, you know? Mm. Um, and I'm just, I'm just thinking now about, about the, the drum circle stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, and how, for example, I was buying, I was selling djembe's for a, year, a number of years uh, to other white pagans. And um, I was buying them. They were produced in, I think, the Philippines and not in Africa. Because the, the carvings were, were done, you know, like there was, there was, you know, families that, and I'm not even sure if it was the Philippines, but it was somewhere, I want to say Philippines, but maybe it was just Malaysia someplace. I don't even know now, but it is small Pacific Islanders were making these drums, uh, doing these carvings that you know, that white people like, cause there's like dolphins or dragons and stuff like that stuff that was not African culture, but the drum itself is. Um, and, you know, and I was selling these and not really thinking about the global, larger global perspectives. Um, and I remember, you know, taking drum lessons from Jackie McMillan, who's not a who's not of African descent, not that I know of, but she learned from Mama De Keita, who is a huge, <laughs> a huge djembe player from Europe and from Africa and then into, and then, and then Belgium. Um, you know, she learned directly from him and it's, it's, you know, I don't know. Is that cultural appropriation? Does that count as that? Um, I would think that if she learned from him and then she teaches you, I mean, that's how we, that's how we grow, right? That's how we, yeah, well, you think so, but you know, I, I, are there, are there, I'm sure there are purists out in the internet that would not approve of this. There are, there absolutely are. And I feel, I feel really afraid to confront this because of that. And even just because of interpersonal, just friendships that I have, or people who I respect very much, who I am certain feel very differently about this than I do, you know. But I don't. I. I, I don't. I. I'm very sad to see us moving into a place where we're creating a world that everyone has their narrow path that they can't traverse. Yes, I don't really believe that most people think that there's no opportunities to share cultures ever. 
but I, I do see the trend of the narrowing of what's possible. And um, I feel like we can, we can explore the world and feel free to, um, to go where one has moved and also confront the, 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 the sociopolitical issues and cultural differences and uh, between our backgrounds and the other things that, that really matter, you know? Um, because I guess the, the thing it, about it for me is that I've spent so much time in my life being told or shown in some way that I'm fundamentally not okay for the things that I like and for the things that truly deeply in my heart call me. And I'm really tired of that. Um, I'm really tired of that. And I don't want to impart that to other people. And I want to, I want to explore ways to, to, um, to get there where we can, we can talk about our feelings and our, I think, (laughs) you know, our feelings and our fears and, and that's another thing that I've seen kind of being closed down in some, especially discussion groups that I've seen, because if you express something that is, wow, I've always been afraid of X or I've never explored Y. Is this online? Yeah, this is online and somewhat in person to, to someone that's going to sound like, you are making an affront to this type of person that you say you've never dated or that type of experience that you're not personally open to Mm. as saying that then you're saying something against the group that way. And I think there's a way to say, I mean, at a certain point you can't talk about anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. Well, it's online discussion is a whole other beast. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, there's a lot of shit I don't talk about online because they don't hear the tone. They don't see my body language and, and things can get misinterpreted really easily. But the other thing that kind of, it, it plays into what you were saying. Um, I've been noticing, uh, especially, um, it's, I, it's probably, and it was probably before Obama got elected president, but it's certainly escalated in the last 10 years, um, is the tribalization of our, of our country. Which a lot of people would say you, that's appropriation to use that word. <laughs> well, I was going to use a, a, another, I was going to use some other slang phrases, which would be bad too. So, you know, but we are all in a tribe of some kind, um, you know, as a tribe is, is a group of like-minded individuals. Um, I'm not, you know, uh, there's a lot of our language that's fraught with, with um, the colonizer power structure, for example. Um, and, and it's like, I'm not real thrilled about the term colonizer, but, you know, I will except that that's how there's a group of people that that's how they see white people and people with privilege. And if you look at the world history over the last 1500 years, you kind of understand why, but 
we have all been fracturing into these little subgroups and, and it's been, and it's been happening for more than 10 years. Uh, even in, in my, I could give you an example in, uh, the geek, the nerd geek nerd community. I think geeks and nerds are now separate. Uh, um, now it used to be a world, the world science fiction convention was this annual thing in August or actually it was on labor day for a long time. And then uh, dragon con kind of took that weekend in the old days. It was like a pagan festival and a science fiction convention and a horror festival and a comic con. It was all, it was, everybody was in one thing cause there weren't that many. And then, and then everybody kind of split up into separate fandoms. Like there, you know, there wasn't, I think the first one that was separate was like a Star Trek convention. There was like science fiction conventions and then there were Star Trek conventions. And now there's Star Trek conventions and Babylon five conventions and Dr. Who conventions and, and Harry Potter conventions. It's all and Star Wars. It's all separate now. And that's also happening in the larger universe. And I don't know that that's a good thing because, you know, Mary was bringing the point. I mean, we are, the United States is supposed to be a melting pot. And the whole point of the melting pot is we, we take, we borrow, I see, see, I'm, I'm talking like a colonizer, take stuff. Um, no, we are supposed to share. Well, I the melting pot, I think also sometimes connotes everyone blending together into one big culture, which I don't think is ideal either but no. i know i understand your point of it being all well, of us everything is is for everyone you know mm-hmm. you look at that at, at the at the spectrum of of sexual preference and and gender identity you know we can't all be everything we can't because that's right. not who we are right. but but i think it's the ideal is that we, this is my, I guess my ideal of what I think America is supposed to be is we are all, you know, tolerant of everybody doing their thing. And I know that's, that's an ideal and that's really not going to happen in our lifetimes because there's people who, who are not tolerant and we're, and then, then, and then they're supposed, and then they tell us, oh, we're supposed to tolerate your intolerance. And in, and I, and I guess it's the kind of thing it's, it's when you are your true self, there are going to be people who may have a problem with that. And you kind of just have to let them go because they're not for you. Yes. That's yeah. I mean, that's just, and I think especially on this type of a topic, because I've always, you know, it took me a long time to realize that my experience is not, you know, in giant air quotes, the black experience, (laughs) because my very existence since I was born has been biracial and multicultural, you know, and that's what I understand. And that's a world that feels best to me Mm. in in a real, in in a very, very strong sense, or at least in terms of who I am, you know? So I've, feel um, like I'm confronting something that has been very scary for me all my life to be in some sense, feel like I'm being told I'm not okay. And then having to, um, having to decide whether to continue to be myself 
and talk about things that might be, um, well, definitely complicated and probably upsetting to people, to a lot of people. And to encourage other people to be all of themselves, even if it might go against the grain of some of what's happening politically right now. Um, you know, I guess I'm into, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, but I definitely want to talk to very different types of people um, who have been traversing like the, the political arenas or just living their lives, you know, and seeing what people think about this and how they're navigating it, because it's not an easy thing. Um, and it's a very scary thing for me right now. And I think that a big part of this right now is for me to just admit that I've felt very alien and alienated from a lot of communities around just speech and opinions and speaking your truth about where you're at or, and it's, it's, it's gotten more restrictive and less to me, less ultimately helpful to where I'd like to see the world go. Um, so, and you know, so, so it's, it's big for me to be thinking about these and talking about it out loud. Yeah. So, let's see where well, it goes. Thank you for sharing your, your thoughts on this. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrene.com and my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash robinreneefan, tweet at me at spiritrocksexy, and follow me on Instagram at robinreneemusic. I would love to hear from you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com. So this is our 42nd episode. This is episode 42. And because I am a huge nerd and a huge Douglas Adams fan, uh, we have to bring up life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> Perfect. Which is 42. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have uh, I have been a gigantic nerd about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy since I I think probably since the uh, the the BBC video series of six episodes or ten I think it was six episodes aired mm -hmm. on radio show first. Well, yes, but oh, let, me, okay. let me tell my history here. Okay. It was on TV on, on PBS and, um, 
And then I discovered that it was available on on a, on vinyl, uh, which was the BBC radio radio drama that was eventually released as a record. And I had I got that, and then I started reading his books. Uh, I believe the Hitchhikers trilogy has six books um, in it, and and they're titled like the um, increasingly inaccurate trilogy. Uh, or some, <laughs> some allusion to the fact that it's, we're way over three. At That's this funny. Point. Um, and then I read pretty much everything else he ever wrote. I have like the the script for the radio play. I have uh, the I have the BBC series. I have the movie. <laughs> I have every incarnation of this of this story. Um, and what does forty two have to do with it? Forty two is the is the they okay at some point. Uh, in the history of the universe, a group of uh, beings, uh, pan-dimensional, hyper-intelligent beings, <laughs> created a computer called Deep Thought, and they asked it the they wanted the answer to the ultimate question. Oh, of, I remember you know, that. What, the universe and everything. And so, seven and a half million years later, uh, the computer has the answer, and the answer is forty-two, um, and then. They said, well, we don't know what that means. It says, well, yeah, you have to have the actual question. And for that, I will, I don't, I can't tell you that, but I can design the computer that will tell you that. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and that's going to take uh, another several. And then, well, okay. For, I, I, do you want me to spoil everything? Cause I can. Well, okay. Um, yeah, let's not. The computer, the computer that he designed was the earth and um, and which got blown up basically 15 minutes before they figured out the answer by the Vogons to make a hyperspace bypass. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They were, I remember that now. Yeah. So, um, we never do get the question because it also, it got, it, <laughs> the experiment got screwed up, uh, about 2 million years before the story starts anyway. Uh, for various reasons. And um, so that's, and, and, and then after that all happened, people started looking for correlations. 42 is also the Unicode uh, character asterisk, which is a wild card. So it's anything, everything. So, and, and although Douglas Adams says he just uh, picked that number at random because it's, um, it's a nice number, the kind of number you would take around to meet your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and on my research for this, this little segment today, I discovered that um, in 1996, the astrophysicists at the Cavendish Laboratory in England um, managed to come up with uh, the value for the Hubble constant uh, as 42, which kind of blew everybody away for a little while until um, a group at Harvard subsequently came up with other numbers. Uh, that The Hubble constant is, is a big deal in astrophysics because oh. it tells you how fast the universe is expanding. So the constant wasn't very constant. Well, no, it's a number, but they, they have to get it from redshift data. 
you know, it, it's it's the number that will tell you how far away a galaxy is or how far away a star is. And it has to do with the expansion, the rate of expansion of the universe. And they calculate it by taking astronomical observations. And, and they had a, a range for it from like 10 to 800. Um, they're kind of right now, it looks like they're kind of settling a number somewhere in the 60s. Yeah, you see, you look at these graphs, and they're basically a lot of data with huge error bars. Right. <laughs> but for a minute, they thought it was 42, which would have been amazing. Yeah. In 1996, they thought it was 42. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, one of the things that I like best about the Hitchhiker's Guide, and it's been many years since I've read any of them, but I, I like the concept of the towel being the most useful thing. <laughs> oh, the towel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know. In May. May 10th is the towel day. Towel day is May 25th. Oh, I was just okay. looking that up. We're going to have to celebrate that. So that is on our calendar, definitely. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, they, and there's a very funny passage about, you know, a towel, it says, is the most massively useful thing in the in, an interstellar hitchhiker can have. Partly it has a great practical value. You can wrap it around you for warmth as you bound across the cold moons of Jaglin Beta. You can lie on it <laughs> on a brilliant, brilliant marble sanded beaches of Centragenus Cent Five. I can't pronounce <laughs> these things, but it's very funny. You know, it's it's cool. And the thing that makes me laugh about that, like, do you know where your towel is? Is that as a naturist, you you, you <laughs> might you'll need your clothes, but you always need a towel. <laughs> well, you have to sit. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's kind of like, wow, that that actually translates to a real thing in my, in my life. <laughs> and that I, I didn't real, you know, I, I get now why, you know, cause I have, I have friends when I talk about, when I talk about nudists and nudity and things, and, and somebody always bring, brings up, well, people leak. <laughs> and, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why they don't want them sitting on the furniture, you know? That's <laughs> But yeah, having the towel then just solves that whole problem. <laughs> exactly, you know. So you don't even have to be traversing the entire universe. You might just be going to uh, <laughs> to a potluck or something. You know, it feels more comfortable too. Yeah, but, you uh, sit on a log. Yeah, really. <laughs> or the beach. Yes. Even in bathing suits, there's sand gets into every nook and cranny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like sand in my cranny. Yeah, really. <laughs> but, you, but seriously, but you have, um, I, I have a million books on my, the stack of things I should be reading and want to read, but Hitchhiker's Guide would be a fun thing to revisit because I think it's, it's very brilliant and a lot of fun when I read them. Yeah. I, I, like and I haven't reading. read the fifth and sixth books. Of the really? Tour. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, you also need to read um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Oh yeah, that's on that's on um, Prime Video, I think. Yes, it's a it's a um, TV series that is not that that has the flavor of the books, but is not a direct production of the books. It's like the guy? characters. They took the characters and put them in other situations. Um, that book I conflated with American Gods at one point because in Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, or it could have been the sequel, which was The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul, um, there was a character 
who was called Mr. Wednesday and he was Odin and wow. he was at the airport and he got very angry at the woman behind the counter and turned her into a soda vending machine. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, like, that's like the main, the only thing I really remember from that book is that scene. And then when, and then when American gods came on, I kept waiting for the guy to turn somebody into a, a soda machine. And I realized, Oh wait, that was this other book, not this book. Oh, um, and uh, that's Neil Gaiman, who is another British author who I like their writing. But Douglas Adams um, died when he was in his 40s. And that was in, and I think the 80s or the 90s. And it was like way too soon. And it was very upsetting. I think he had a heart attack. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and his last book is called The Salmon of Doubt. And it, it has basically any writing he had left on his hard drive after he died. And some of it, it's not, none of it's finished. And it's like, you're reading these stories and it's like, damn, I wish he could have finished this because it's really good. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.